Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, December 2nd. On today's show, we are joined by Crack Rackets contributor extraordinaire Damian Koos to hand out some awards for the 2022 ATP Challenger Tour. Of course, we get into all of the basics. We talk player of the year. We talk most improved. We talk newcomer as well. And then we get into the fun category. What were the best rivalries? Who were the best players to watch? What are the things we will remember most from this 2022 Challenger season? Of course, I can think of no better guest to join me than Damien, as of course, he is the host of our Monday Great Shot podcast episode that focuses on every week of the ATP Challenger Tour. Needless to say, we've got a fantastic show that we know all of you listeners are going to enjoy, of course, before we get to it for what it's worth. If you're looking for more award show content, did the ATP award show with Gilgros, David Kane. You can find that over on the Great Shot podcast feed. If you're looking for the WTA award show, you can hear Nick McCarvel and myself hand out some hardware here on the mini break podcast feed. Of course, tons of content still coming your way as we get into off-season mode here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, the reason we're able to do all of these things day in, day out here on this show is because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, all the best equipment, all the best prices, all in one location, tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 to get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point.com, the promo code code is CR15. With that said, let's get to it. Our 2022 ATP Challenger Award show with the one and only Damian Koost. Joining us on the podcast once again today to name our award winners from the 2022 ATP Challenger season is a returning champion here at Crack Rackets. Of course, you know him as the host of the Monday Challenger-centric episode of the Great Shot Podcast. Of course, he's also written for so many different platforms, whether it be our website, Last Word on Tennis, and so much more. Of course, I know him as my dear friend, Damian Coos. Damian, welcome. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Great. Uh, yeah, this this looks very exciting, what we're going to be doing here today. I've never done it. I'm pretty sure no one has ever done that, actually. <laughs> so I think we're really, uh, you know, we're really doing, doing something that uh, hasn't been established, hasn't been done before. And yeah, that's that's very exciting to me. Absolutely. I will say, and I texted this to you at the time, the moment I thought to myself, we should hand out some challenger awards. I was like, well, let me text Damien to see if he's free because there's really no other person I can do this with. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that there aren't really ATP challenger tour awards. Obviously, they hand them out at the tour level for the ATP, the WTA. But in comparison to other, obviously, team sports specifically, it feels to me as though 
there isn't much significance to postseason awards in professional tennis. For instance, when we're making the case for someone to get into the Hall of Fame, you're never going to say, well, he was the newcomer of the year back in 2003 and, you know, was twice voted most improved player. You're typically going to look at, well, what slams did they win, Masters, etc. There are so many different quantifiable things in tennis to measure someone's success with. Awards are typically left out. I hate that fact. I'm curious how you feel. And if you agree with me, by uh the way, of that assessment. No, I I definitely agree that they don't carry much significance. Uh, But I'm honest, I'm fine where they are. Like, I'm... It's just fun for me. Like even even today, I tweeted like who I would want to win the ATP awards, and if that happens, I'm gonna be happy. If not, I also like <laughs> you know I'm not gonna <laughs> lose sleep thinking about it. I remember last year I was very uh, very pleased with the choices the the players I guess mostly and the, the coaches as well when it comes to coach of the year made. But yeah, I, I'm totally fine with it staying as they are. Uh, but it's it's definitely a bit of fun. Uh, on the Challenger Tour, though, maybe there should be some, uh, you know, we don't have the Challenger Tour finals anymore, of course. There's like a little bit of a lack of, uh, well, I, I guess a lot of players just probably, you know, just want to get this over with and get to the ATP Tour. So perhaps that, perhaps that's also the reason. But for example, I loved when uh, last year, especially, we had so many record-breaking accomplishments, like Talon Griegspor getting eight titles, and he was constantly just retweeting stuff about, about his records. And uh, yeah, I love I loved when players like you know didn't care that it's like a challenger record, but they were extremely pleased and satisfied that they got a record. Like doesn't matter that it's the challenger tour, and that's how it should be. So maybe you know maybe here there's some sort of a niche to to fill with awards. Of course, our awards. Uh, I don't think the players would <laughs> care much <laughs> about. But you know, if the tour established something like that in the future, I don't know. Maybe Town Greeksport will tweet out this podcast if he wins an award here today. But it's a couple <laughs> of things off of that. I think it's sort of a chicken and egg scenario, right? The awards aren't important, so therefore, as a fan, you don't really care if your favorite player does or doesn't win them. At the same time, if the awards were more important, would people care more? So. For For instance, it's like, you know, the sportsmanship award on the men's side. Did Roger Federer play enough matches by playing Laver Cup to qualify as a nominee for that award? Because if he does, he's going to win it for like the 19th time in 21 years. I don't think he's nominated. Yeah, well, but again, it's more broadly, it's like these awards are, if Federer's winning the sportsmanship award, Every single year. And, you know, again, we talk about player of the year, but on the ATP side, player of the year is just awarded to the world number one at the end of the season. It's like these awards don't have much gravitas. And so I would like to find a way as a tennis populist to have them mean more because when I look at awards, and listeners might be tired of hearing me say this, as I think I said something similar on our ATP and WTA award show, and why I wanted to do this for the Challenger Tour. I think awards are the best way to tell the the story of a season, right? Like, for instance, if Iga Swiatek not only wins Player of the Year, as she obviously will on the WTA Tour, but if she was nominated and eligible to win Most Improved Player of the Year Mm -hmm. as well, I think that best tells the story of it was like, yeah, 2022 was the year of Iga. You know, on the flip side, for the men— I think you could make a similar case for Carlos Alcaraz, that when we look back at 2022, we're not going to remember Djokovic winning a one-off Wimbledon or, you know, maybe we'll remember Rafa getting 21 and 22 if he ends up 
as the the all-time leader. But like when we look back at 2022, what we'll really remember is this is the year Alcaraz became Alcaraz. And I just think the best way to tell that story is through awards, if that makes sense. Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, he's nominated for Most Improved as yeah. well. So uh, perhaps he'll get it. I don't know. I think it's voted by the players too, right? Yeah, but it, it, it won't carry that much significance. I, You know, sportsmanship is really the only award that isn't really like... It's not about the game itself, mm-hmm. but it's actually... It seems to be the one that, that always gets a lot of talk, right? It's but a popularity mostly, contest. Yeah, that's that, but that's mostly the big free just... Yeah. You know, the fans of the big free just... Uh, rumbling on like why Djokovic <laughs> doesn't get it, why doesn't he get nominated? Because that's actually arbitrarily done, but by, by the ATP. So that that's I feel like uh, you know when it comes to ATP awards, this is the one that gets talked about, and this is the one that should be talked about the the least. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with you. Of course, again, for the sake of our conversation, we're focusing on just the challenger guys today because to your point. I really miss the Challenger Finals, where you had the eight guys who accumulated the most points on the Challenger Tour. A, it was just clarifying for us as fans who were those players, because so many players dip in and out of the Challenger level throughout the course of the year. And, you know, with that in mind, let's get into our discussion on our ATP Challenger Awards. The place we'll start is the big one, Player of the Year. This is tough, because there are some players who spent... 11 months, dare I say, even 12 months. That's part of the reason also why there aren't challenger awards. It's because, folks, there are still challengers being played this week. But when I look for player of the year, what I had to weigh was who were the players who had the most success for 12 months versus who were the players who, when they were playing at the challenger level, they absolutely dominated. And it may have just turned into a stepping stone, but boy, did they crush it on their way to the ATP Tour I'm curious which one of those two categories your player of the year falls in. Who's your guy? Yeah, I, I have three names listed, but I have the, the front runner, sort of. But the problem is that my front runner is probably going to be like my front runner in most improved player as well. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, let's just roll with it. I mean, yeah, I, I was thinking of the guys who just sort of played a little on the Challenger Tour, but had extreme win rates. Like uh, Jack Draper had 86%, I think. Ibing Wu had 85 And these are the two guys I considered from that sort of uh, perspective. But I had to go with Pedro Kachin just because, well, I mean, when, when it comes to the whole year, uh, I think his success was was bad, just better represented on the Challenger Tour because Draper basically played, what, three, four months of Challenger Tour action and then uh, went straight to... I, I guess he played on, uh, an event on grass, but, you know, he he basically played for like three or four months. Yibing Wu, he sort of... I mean, yeah, he, he just plays an event. He then doesn't show up for two months. He, he's having these uh, health issues, of course. Uh, so I also couldn't really go for it, and I, I just had to go with Kachin. I, I is it is it seven finals? Is it I think? So uh, I had the numbers titles. in front of me. Pedro yeah. Kachin this year at the challenger level, thirty-eight and eleven overall on the year. That's you know last year we all got. I just this is the example I always use. This is Brooksby. This is what Brooksby did last year. He did it for the duration of this season as well. Made nine quarterfinals, eight and one in the quarterfinal rounds of challengers. That's really freaking hard to do. To your point. He did make seven finals, four challenger titles. That's titles, tight for yeah. the most with Draper, actually, uh, for most challenger title tours on the year. I didn't mean to cut you off. Those are the numbers for you. 
Yeah. No, I mean, uh, that's pretty much what I wanted to say. Of course, I wouldn't go into that much detail. I just knew he won <laughs> four titles and three, three made three finals. Actually, a fantastic success rate in quarterfinals and semis, like, you know, to make nine quarterfinals and, and seven finals out of it. Uh, that's pretty insane. But yeah, basically, since the end of March, uh, and what I like to call like, you know, that, that, that team win uh, in Marbella, which was, of course, it was team's first uh, match since June 2021, I think. Mm-hmm. And of course, he was very far off his best. But I think in, in terms of like the confidence that he gave to Kachin, it was insane. And perhaps it was also one of the one of the things that ignited him this year. And and yeah, when I look at the whole year, I just didn't feel like I can go with Draper or Ibik Wu uh, when it comes to Player of the Year. But of course, they both have uh, an amazing case to 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 be talked about here. If 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 we were to like do nominations and you know then, then have people vote, then of course they would be included as well. Yeah, I think you laid out the argument for Kachin pretty clearly. If you are going for the full year, who was the best guy on the Challenger Tour for the longest period of time? I do agree with you. I think he has to be the selection. That said, I think it comes down to a final five. Quinton Halise. I like he deserves a bit of a shout out him or Echeverry maybe in that fifth spot because they were both guys who were really good on the Challenger Tour all season long just popped up in you know six seven eight nine quarterfinals throughout the course of the year that said they would be battling for a fifth spot I think there's a very clear-cut top four and you mentioned a couple of the names obviously Katchen is one of them Draper and Wu being tied together in your brain makes a lot of sense because for what it's worth, Jack Draper this season, 24-4 and at the challenger level. That's nuts. And obviously, he makes five total uh, quarterfinals but wins four titles, goes 4-0 in those titles, won all of them before April. He used the Challenger Tour as the way the ATP Tour envisioned it always working, which is that stepping stone of let me get through, you know, this next level of players and be ready to test myself at the highest level of the game. There was no doubt that, you know, at 20 years old, Jack Draper, by the end of March, was ready to be tested against top 100 players. And by the way, shout out to you, start of the year or about a year ago from this month, we did a podcast where you were very pro Jack Draper. I was perhaps of the uh, thought that Draper was a little bit more limited. I was also pro Sung. You were of the thought that Sung was a little more yeah. limited. Both I ended up in so. the top. I yeah. Still think so. <laughs> Both end up in the top 100. You were more right than I was, so shout out to you. But I think it's a win for both of us, so we'll take it there. Yeah. That said, 24 and 4, 86% win percentage. That's the best you're going to find on the Challenger Tour. Yi Bing Wu, 23 and 4 on the Challenger Tour. And for what it's worth, Draper won four titles, four and 0 in finals. Yi Bing Wu, 3 and 1 in his four finals. So Draper would get the edge over Yi Bing Wu there. But for the first time, and certainly not the last. We probably have to mention this name in the conversation, the fourth name, and you have a smirk on your face because you know I'm going to say it. Ben Shelton just belongs in this conversation. And yes, none of his challenger play started until June 1st, but to go 40 and 11 in essentially, I mean, it was challenger or better level competition for him here in 2022 40 and 11 over the final six months of the season you look for him at the challenger level specifically 35 and 8 
So not only is it a bigger sample size of matches than a Draper or an Yibing Wu, but it's a higher success rate. Or it's a, a similar success rate than those guys over a bigger period of time, but he's still over that big 80% number. Of course, we mentioned the nine challenger quarterfinals for Kachin. This is the thing I think is most impressive for Ben Shelton. He went 8-0, Damian in quarterfinals over the course of these final six months of 2022. 8-0 in quarterfinals, now only six finals to catch in seven. He won three titles to catch in four, but he did it in six less months. And I actually think, going through the argument, because you made a really good one for catching. I also think there's a really strong argument for the success rate of Draper and Ebing Wu. And by the way, Munar is another name I want to throw out there where it just felt like he was a guy who played a lot of challenger action. He always was really good at it. Now, it was clay court specific, and he didn't play quite enough, but I would just throw him in this conversation. But I think if you're going to split the difference between those two criteria, I think Ben Shelton's the pick, and that's my pick, Damian. What do you think? Yeah, I honestly didn't consider Shelton for this category. And yeah, I, perhaps I'm wrong. <laughs> because he really did what Kachin, like he almost did what Kachin did in like a few months last, right? That I, I think you're perfectly right there. Yeah, I obviously have Ben Shelton at some other spots on this list. Um, two of them, I believe. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, I think if we're looking like, yeah, Draper Wu probably didn't play enough, or let's say just for uh, an enough, uh, a big enough period in the year. Um, I think that Kachin and Shelton are probably like very, very, you know, the, the strength of the of these, um, you know, possible options to pick from here are are pretty much the same for me. Yeah, I, I yeah, I just totally sort of glanced over Ben here. Um, of course, perhaps you know, perhaps it was because well. If it wasn't for these three titles in the in the yeah. last couple of weeks, uh, then we wouldn't really be considering him for Player of the Year. We still would have, we still could have considered him for other things. But yeah, I'm I'm honestly not sure what to do, what to do now. Like no, that's to stick with my catching peak and on our. No, yeah, no, I, 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 think, just meant to add, I, I think Shelton is actually fair. Because I also I just have, meant to say, mm-hmm. you you said it beautifully. Shelton's last three weeks are what propel him into this conversation. Because let's yeah. be clear, the 8-0 in quarterfinals is remarkable no matter what. But to be the youngest player to win three straight challenger titles in three straight weeks in ATP challenger history and to have that run six-month run propel you into the top 100, which again is what the challenger tour is supposed to do. Ben Shelton did it. It was like all of those wild cards, Damien, in the end, end up justified. Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, yeah, as you said, this is we would he wouldn't be in the conversation. He is now. He's in the conversation for everything. Obviously, yeah. broke the top one hundred. Uh, got the wild card as, as well to the Australian Open, which well he won't need, but uh, <laughs> he still got it, of course. Uh, yeah, I I am actually willing to to agree with Ben Shelton here. I think. All right, we'll, th- um, we'll yeah. throw him on there. I would say the top three, top four ballot, it would go Shelton one, mm-hmm. Kachin two, Draper three, Wu fours, literally on a one-match difference. One match separating yeah, Draper uh, and Wu. I, that I think I, that's very fair, yeah. Yeah, so that's the ballot. We'll ask uh, You can ask Jakob on Monday if he agrees or disagrees. But you mentioned having Ben in other categories. Here's the thing. Let's do most improved next because I'm sure Mm -hmm. he's on your list for most improved, 
But I actually think it qualifies in Ben's case more for newcomer because Ben was this good. He just wasn't playing pro events that frequently. So I I think most improved is actually a category where things get very interesting. And dare I say, this is the category where I'm happy to have you most on this show because as a man who has been tuned into the Challenger Tour, not only this year, but obviously for, I would say, the past five years, which is the generation of players we currently see going through who exceeded your expectations the most this year, Damien? Who's your most improved challenger player? Again, I have three names here, and actually Shelton isn't one of them, but that's only because I totally agree with what you said, that you know he falls into the newcomer category for more. He only played two challengers, if I remember correctly, in 2021. So I went for guys who actually, well, two of them well, were pretty much only challenger players in 2021, and one was you know, showing up a bit. Um, one is again Pedro Kachin, just because sure. you know no one could have predicted that uh, his game is fairly basic. Like you know, you you wouldn't really think about it that you know it, it can lead him to the top 100, that it can like have a full-on breakthrough, especially at the age of 27. Uh, I actually remember like thinking that he was pretty underrated in 2021 and and saying that on the podcast a few times, but I never pictured this. <laughs> no, I thought he was like, you know, capable of, because most of his career, he was like uh, a fringe ITF challenger guy. And I just thought that's, you know, that doesn't do him justice. But I never thought he would be able to like break the top 100, you know, that that's just impossible. Uh, my other shout out is Constant Lestien at 30 years of age. Uh, this one is perhaps a little less surprising because I think we all sort of knew that he can potentially have the talent to do this. But, you know, he was never able to get um, well, healthy for a longer time as well, but also just m- mentally focused. Uh, I think his first serve becoming a weapon is something no one really saw coming, especially at the age of 30. As I said, I mean, that's that's probably um, like a very strong asset in, 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 for Lestien in this uh, discussion, because, well, uh, you don't expect breakthroughs at that stage usually. And the third guy I have is Francesco Passaro, just for the fact that in 2021, you know, he was just a very one-dimensional grinder, uh, pretty much couldn't do anything but play defensive tennis. And right now, you know, he, he gets a win over Jiren Zhang in the ATP 250 at, uh, what was it, Florence, not even clay. Uh, he gets a couple of, he gets, uh, you know, of course, that fantastic summer where he just can't stop making finals at clay challengers. He gets... Uh, he plays very well at next-gen finals, just, you know, showing that from that very defensively oriented guy, he suddenly becomes something completely different. And that's, I guess, what most improved player is about. Uh, but yeah, because I didn't give uh, Pedro Kachin the player of the year award, I think he probably deserves most improved. I agree with you for that exact same logic, because again, with the theory, and by the way, Ben Shelton winning player of the year sticks with my rule of I want these awards to tell the story of the season, and Ben having the run he did over these six months was the story of the season at the challenge level, in my opinion, but I also agree Katchen has to find his way on this list somewhere, and this is probably the best category to do it. That said, I have a couple other nominees I would like to throw by mm-hmm. you because I think Lestian was on my list, So as was Katchen, obviously. So those are two names you already mentioned. Jason Kubler 
And we'll get to him more in the He Had a Moment Award. because, And maybe that helps mm. clarify what that award actually is for you, Damien, in that, you know, his summer, Orlando. I forget what the other challenger was in the summer at the Little States. But yeah, I, I believe so. And then, right, it carried over to Wimbledon, I want to say, or on the grass courts. Kubler had a moment. Like, that's one of the things. That's where that mm-hmm. award is, where things you'll yeah. remember from this year I don't know if that makes him the most improved player, but I think he deserves a shout-out in this category. Is that fair? I mean, he, he sort of had a similar run before, like that before, of course, a long while ago. So I'm not sure. Maybe more so comeback player of the year. Uh, yeah, I mean, fair. I, I don't think he's winning that. But, you know, <laughs> it's impossible that he can win comeback player. But <laughs> I, I think he more fit, fits that uh, that category more than most improved. But, of course, Jason Kubler had a fantastic year. I'm definitely no, that, not disagreeing with we'll that. We'll get back to him and he had a moment then because that was more a moment mm-hmm. than yeah, a, sure. a full-scale improvement. All right. Uh, Jijin Jung, you you mentioned him there. But I yeah. think he, he's a guy who – I mean, he had his best season of the year. You can look at it statistically from a challenger perspective. 32 wins this year at the challenger level. That's the most he's had in any season in his career. He won, you know, 65% of his matches made. I think it was four challenger finals during the season, winning a title on the, you know, crack the top 100. First Chinese guy to do it. I think he's got to be on the list. I think this is probably where it goes. Uh, you think that it should go to Zhang? Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm saying I think he should be a nominee ah. on this list. Kachin is still the stronger not. Uh, candidate but again if the ballot's supposed to reflect the season this is where i would slide him in to be like hey don't forget about him because he he made a big jump this year yeah i I do have jishin zhang on my list at in another spot but it's not like a really no it's not really for results but of course he he deserves a shout out here as well uh yeah the, the the way he was just able to suddenly start playing you have to probably call it ball bashing but it's actually like some very uh, pretty smart ball bashing in a way as well. Uh, the, the the way uh, no one really knew how good his technique was, and then suddenly he comes out, plays with this much confidence. Yeah, gets to the top one hundred. And honestly, if he's uh, mostly, you know, he he is pretty fra- fragile mentally, but if he can sort of set that um, set that right, if he can get some experience, I wouldn't be surprised if he keeps it going because like game wise, he was a top 50 player in the second half of the year. So yeah, I I think he's a very good shout here too. I, I remember thinking about him, but, um, I, yeah, I just, I just thought that, you know, he, he had a, he had some pretty good runs in the past. Like I think his, uh, carry high was 136 or something like that, or 138. He was the, the, you know, before this year, he was the highest uh, ranked Chinese player ever as well. So that's why I didn't include him, but yeah, he was definitely on my mind when I was thinking of most improved player. The big thing is it just felt like he put in more returns this year. And certainly the numbers say as much career average at the challenger level, 22.6 for his break percentage this year. It was at 25%, which is second best number of his career. Obviously biggest sample size though. The other two names I would just throw out in there casually, Quentin Halise, because I was just kind of done with Quentin Halise. And now it's like, you know what? Maybe you will make a top 100 debut. Like maybe things will work. Like the the floor has been raised for him enough that I'm intrigued. And then the other one, and maybe this bleeds into our newcomer of the year discussion because I think Katchen is clearly the most improved player of the year. But is Luca Nardi 
the most is he more newcomer of the year than most improved because Nardi obviously was a pretty highly touted junior player he has had success in every level of tennis that he's played thus far in his young career but I think he won what three challenger titles here this season and just I, I feel like he took things to another level yeah, definitely. And and it happened in like pretty much the off season. Uh, yeah. It was sort of similar to Draper where in December they still had so many issues and then suddenly January they returned. Yeah. And yeah. In, in Nardi's case, I think it was mostly the serve clicking, but then even later on when he wasn't indoors, he, yeah, even, even without the, the serve helping him so much, he, he's obviously not the most powerful guy on the planet. Yeah. I think he falls into the most improved player probably, um, Last year, I think he got like 15 Challenger wildcards and barely did anything with them, but he was still playing the Challenger Tour a lot. And who did you mention before, uh, Nardi? Because I read. I said Quentin Halise with his his seven Um, Challenger finals here this year. For what it's worth, Quentin Halise at the Challenger level, because this number actually stood out to me as particularly remarkable. He was 43 Mm -hmm. and 10 this year. That's really – I'm trying to think what was the quarterfinal number for him. He made 11 quarterfinals, 9-2 and two in that round. Like, again, I didn't think Quentin Halise had this level in him. Still just 26 years old. But, you know, when you make that jump and get into the top 100 based on the uh, predicate of challenger success, he probably should have been in the player of the year conversation um, as well. Yeah. But I think he certainly files into the most improved as well. Yeah, I, I would probably nominate him for player of the year. Most improved. Um, the only reason why I'm not sure is because I thought like at the end of 2021, he was already playing greatness, but he was just kept losing matches where he had match points, uh, had like in, in very close succession, he had uh, like four of them or something like that in the, uh, ta- at the tail end of 2021, which uh, I remember mentioning a lot on the podcast. Yeah, because it just seemed that Alice is, playing you know top 100 level stuff he's just not getting the results but obviously to this extent i didn't foresee it so uh so yeah i i think he deserves a nomination but kachin is is probably the clear winner especially as we didn't pick him for player of the year mm-hmm. and you know it, it's not a rule that you have to get an award or it's not a rule that a player can only get one award but i think pedro kachin deserves this one yeah, yeah. Uh, that's fair i again halis needs to be on a ballot somewhere yeah. um he did what Bonzi did. He did what what Greekspor did last year. Just did it with, in my opinion, or at least from my end, a lot less hype. I don't want to speak for you and Jakob. Um, but all right, if Katchen's most improved, we agree on that. Give me your newcomer of the year nominees. And by the way, the thing I was very much looking forward to and that you've done, I knew you were going to bring nominees. Like, as was I, I was like, I need to have a list of three deep that I feel pretty good about because Damien will have that too and, like, got to make this a legitimate discussion. So I appreciate you doing the research, what you get for Newcomer of the Year. I mean, for the for the next two, honestly, I only have one name <laughs> and one name each and I, because I just don't think there's any discussion to be had here. Like, Newcomer of the Year is Shelton, 100%. Uh, he, as we said, he only played two challengers last year, played a quarterfinal in Champagne, uh, you know, started his challenger year in June, but that doesn't really matter. Like this was just, um, you know, to go from t- playing two challengers to basically being in the conversation and for us even winning player of the year here. And honestly, Shelton would have been the, the newcomer of the year, even if these three weeks at the end didn't happen probably. 
or maybe like if one of them happened, let's say, or I don't know, a final and uh, and a title, like he would still be the newcomer of the year for me. So yeah, has to be Shelton, and I I really struggle to see who else could be here. Can I give you three other nominees? Because sure. I, not sadly, just we are in agreement once again. Jerry Shang, 17-year-old, wins a challenger in the summer. I maybe won a couple of challengers over the course of the year. I, I know he made the Grand B final. Diallo beats um, him there. I think he only won one. Yeah, uh, Lexington, yeah. Lex, right? Just Lexington, Lexington and, then, yeah. and then Grand B final, yeah, yeah. to Diallo. Mm-hmm. 17 years old. We knew he was coming, but we actually got to see it at the challenger level. And again, in a Shelton-less year, a 17-year-old having any sort of success at the challenger level, we'd be talking about more... So I think he's a nominee. Like, he's not a winner, yeah. but he's a nominee. Yeah. yeah. The other one, uh, two more, I suppose. Luca, uh, Luca Van Asche, who, uh, the Frenchman who, you know, again, especially towards the end of the year, came out. Maybe that's more he had a moment than straight-up newcomer, and maybe next year he is in this conversation more thoroughly. But, like, he's a guy people like us were watching down the home stretch of the season to say, whoa, wait, like, we knew he was good, but... The weapons are real. Are they? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, if we were to nominate people for this, of course, like both these guys, I think Shang more than Vanash. Vanash was actually playing, uh, you know, a lot more challenger tour than than Shang in the in the end of 2021, I think. Well, still, of course, they're both super young. Uh, yeah, so I, I I would definitely agree that Shang is like a close second. No, not maybe not 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 too close, but he is a second mostly. Uh, if he's close, then it's because of the age, right? That mm-hmm. just because he has he is a couple of years. The other one, ben, but, mm-hmm. which is just Ben to a lesser scale, is what Gabriel Diallo did to win oh, Grand yeah. B and you know make a significant runs at a couple of challengers, multiple quarterfinals, multiple finals. Obviously, that's a he had a moment, spoiler alert, early award nominee, but I think Diallo would be the last man rounding out my list. Who's your clear-cut comeback player of the year? I think this one is really obvious again, Ibn Gul. Uh, yeah. You know, to, to to drop out of the tour for three years uh, and then come back in this style. Of course, he hasn't broken the top 100 yet, but, you know, he's played like, what, 10 events probably? Uh, and yeah, basically when, whenever he, he's shown up, uh, you know, at some point he had this crazy stat where I think he only had losses to uh, to Kubler and to uh, Medvedev, like in uh, in matches that didn't finish with a retirement. But that was like until he lost to uh, Jisung Nam, I think. Uh, but the, of course, that, that's sort of um, yeah, that, that didn't last. But still. You know, if, if he's healthy, of course, he's going to be in the top 100 in a second. And yeah, especially to return after three years. I honestly think that he could have been like, um, is he a comeback? Yeah, he is a comeback uh, player of the year uh, nominee at the, you know, in the ATP awards as yeah. well. I, I mentioned him uh, when we did our ATP award show as a guy you had to think about because of how yeah, good because, he was. And he's nominated, right? Yeah, I believe he, he is as well. Not, yeah. No, and sure. by the way, I can't believe I forgot. I had him in my player of the year category, so I completely forgot to put him in comeback mm-hmm. player of the year. He is the unequivocal winner. We can do this category quickly. The only other player I would maybe even throw out in consideration is Michael Moe. And it's just because here's the number for you. Over okay. the last two years – 
2020, Michael Moe, 11 matches at the challenger level. 2021, Michael Moe, 24 matches at the challenger level. 2022, Michael Moe, 57 matches at the challenger level. Most of his career, most since 2018 when he played 44. And look, everyone knew Michael Moe had top 100 tennis in him. He reached the top 100 back in 2018. But for the first time in so long, he was just healthy and able to play, you know, 40 weeks of tennis and he makes four challenger finals during the year and you look for him in terms of quarterfinals he goes on I think this year he made 10 challenger oh no excuse me nine challenger quarterfinals obviously going to be a higher up number I would just throw Michael Moe a shout out in this category because he was healthy and he just reminded us when healthy boy is he a nightmare to face yeah I don't really think there's a category that we can really put him in otherwise yeah. but sure I mean the second half of the year maybe uh he had a moment I mean <laughs> the, the second half of the year for him was excellent of course yeah and uh as he said he was in the top 100 for a week uh, back in the day which is pretty crazy to think about especially as his as his career isn't even uh, like 100 but 96 uh, but yeah, now he's actually showing that he can return there. And, you know, if he keeps playing like that, he's probably going to get there in a second. So, um, yeah, I, I, I agree that maybe he could be a, um, uh, an option, but it also depends on like what we think about the category itself. Because, um, yeah, when I, I, I tried to find, you know, the, the ATP awards and comeback player of the year, it says that it's a player who has overcome serious injury in reestablishing himself as one of, uh, as one of the top players on the ATP tour. So does Mo qualify into that? I don't know. Uh, you know, who, has he overcome serious injury in reestablishing himself? Not really, probably. I mean, yeah, the category still goes to to Ibn Kuhl, of course. Uh, but Michael Mo is uh, someone uh, that maybe even if he doesn't fit here, of course, deserves a lot of praise for for what he did in the latter half of 2022. Very well said. All right, we move on to top three rivalries, and this is where I really defer to you, my dear friend. Who are the rivalries? Uh, the only one I would throw in there, and it's because they played in two consecutive finals at the end of the year. I think Shelton Eubanks probably has to be in there. Shelton Kovacevic could be your Shelton rivalry of choice as well. Well, but let me, Yi Bing Wu Shelton was a, we had a nice little run there of Wu Shelton matches. A lot of Ben Shelton love in my top three rivalries, as you can tell, but I defer to you. What were the matches mm-hmm. that had challenger fans on the edge of their seats this year? Yeah, this one gave me quite a lot of trouble, honestly, uh, because as you said uh, at the beginning, I mean, challenger players, you're not really like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stuck at one level. You're dropping out, dropping in. And with the amount of uh, events, I think we finished at 184 this year. <laughs> you know, they, they don't really play each other that often. And that's, that that was really an issue. Uh, you mentioned uh, Wu Shelton there. I think we only had one match between them, right? Or am I crazy? No, I thought they played twice. I thought they played in Indianapolis as well, but maybe they didn't. No. As well. Yeah, okay, then maybe uh, just the one. Because I think Shelton lost in like the semis or quarters. Yeah, he lost to Kovacevic, right? Yeah, Kovacevic, Shelton, uh, uh, you also mentioned. I don't have it on the list. Well, Wu Shelton, I thought about, but I, because I also thought, yeah, they played twice, and then I realized they didn't. Uh, Shelton Kovacevic, for most of the year, I would say was not really a rivalry because, sure. well, the, the the lefty serve of Shelton trumps the one-hander, and that's yeah. really the story of it. Of course, Kovacevic got the win in Indianapolis, uh, but I think that was mostly on Ben being pretty tired of uh, you know his previous efforts in what, whatever it was, Rome, or uh, I think it was Rome. 
Um, anyway, uh, so I also don't have it, but I have Shelton and Eubanks, even though they only played twice. And it was also a win for Ben each time, uh, but perhaps because it's fresh in my memory. And also, uh, you know, it was cool to see because they're good friends and like the, the positive vibes all around. Um, I, I think it was very enjoyable. Um, and yeah, as I said, this, this isn't an easy category because there's not, it's not that often that players on the challenger tour face each other constantly like it, it it doesn't happen that much the other one i have is ugo camila ugo carabelli against uh, thomas martin Echeverry. Yep. basically whenever they play it's like three hours 30 and a tight yeah. first set. uh you know if you love south american grinding baseline battles on clay uh, you're gonna love this and i also thought of Echeverry olivo but then I also thought, uh, you know, um, Echeverry, I think, leads 5-2 there and it's 3-0 this year. So I thought, you know, maybe it's, it isn't as much of a rivalry as he has with uh, Camilo. But uh, I think Olivo and Echeverry had a match that went over four hours this year. And, and that was pretty fun as well. And the third one uh, is going to be uh, Mute against Andreev, which is uh, yeah. a pretty interesting one. Of course, everyone remembers it for the for the fight they got into in Orleans, but uh, you know it was uh, it, it wasn't an accident. They actually played uh, you know in two con- two consecutive weeks, Genoa or uh, and Orléans, and well, both matches were amazing. Um, Andreev ended up winning both of them, and yeah. Along with the drama, I think the quality of tennis was pretty excellent too. And of course, the drama made it uh, made it very watchable, even before that fight, of course, because that fight was the last, uh, let's say, meeting between Andreev Mute. if we're not counting the one that apparently they maybe had after the, the match yeah. where I think one, one of them wanted to, you know, to meet each other, uh, meet, meet the other um after afterwards to, to just you know have a bro um yeah crazy stuff but uh if think you know I, when i was thinking about rivalries on the challenger tour this year that that was what came to mind i'm pretty sure there might be something that's uh i'm pretty sure there must be something that i've missed but it's no well for the record you hit the it. that's the no no drama no 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 drama award winner is whatever happened between mute and andreev in that moment after the match and whatever happened during the match the entire soap opera was your drama of the year the only one i, I went throw... with something else but you know no, we'll I, get... oh, I get oh what was yeah. your other nominee what was your other nominee uh for drama yeah just the, while we're cranking it out now okay yeah so for drama because i figured um well, I, I sort of wanted to find something funny. Uh, and, you know, players fighting after the match isn't funny. I don't know. And I came up with this uh, Seville uh, incident, which is pretty funny, like only not uh, not for the player. It's a good who, call uh, by it. you. Yeah, because yeah. there's a lot of goofy stuff that happens at the challenger level. Cameras flying, umbrellas, and, oh. you know, again, you have moments. You just reminded me of something even better, I think. But okay, I'm going to talk about this one that I, that I had first. Um, and in the, there was a match between uh, Delbonis and Moreno Dalboran. And Moreno Dalboran uh, had a toilet break after the opening set. And then suddenly, like, he wasn't returning for a while. And then suddenly it, it turns out that the match has ended in a default. And no one knew what's going on. No one knew what's going to, you know, it, it wasn't like until five hours after the match that we actually knew what happened. And it turns out that he went for a toilet break and then just realized that he's like something on him was dirty. And he wanted to quickly shower it off. 
And Delbonis, who was also in the toilet, spotted it and uh, like ratted him out to the umpire because you That's can't take great. a shower while doing a toilet, you know, during a toilet break. Yeah, and yeah, Moreno Delbonis was defaulted for this, which is uh, yeah one of the wildest uh, reasons for it that I've ever heard. Uh, pretty terrible for the player, of course, but otherwise it was it, it was definitely quite well. At first, not funny because at first we just had no idea what was going on, right? I, I think I can't remember, but I think even um, it seemed at first that maybe Delbonis was the one who just retired or something. You know, from the stream, it was it was so hard to uh, realize what's actually going on. And uh, what you said about the cameras reminded me of Elias Imer blasting a ball into a camera. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that that's really, uh, yeah, no, th th are, that should be in there as well. Those are both very good nominees for the record. The only other rivalry is Stricker-Nishioka because they play back-to-back -back finals. I thought about it, yeah. yeah Cleveland, uh, and Cleveland and Columbus, and so it was like, oh, maybe this, but no, you're right. It's tough with all of the jostling around the globe that happens at the challenger level, and so... No, all right. With that said, then, let's move on to our final four categories. Let's go with the Benoit pair flops of the years. Who are the dis uh, players that disappointed you most in their, you know, perhaps development or lack thereof this season? Yeah, I have a couple. Um, oh, I guess three of them. One of them is Nicolas Alvarez-Varona. Is that fair? Has he yeah. disappointed? I mean, his ranking has improved a bit. Uh, but it seemed like at the end of 2021, it seemed like we're very we're getting very close to like a um, just a full package with him. Uh, and I still think that the game is there, but maybe his shot selection just needs to improve. Uh, I, I don't want to say he plays brainless tennis, but you know <laughs> sometimes it really feels like his tennis IQ just isn't that high. Uh, but yeah, I think I just thought game-wise with the serve that he has, the, the lefty forehand, of course, but also the flat backhand, which I think on even on surfaces, you know, off clay has been uh, very effective for him. Uh, I just think he should be doing more. And I guess I just figured, you know, maybe he wins the challenger this year or something like that. Uh, he did make a final at the end of 2021 in Rio. I'm not sure if he made a final this year. Like, I would have to check it, but I, you know, off the top of my head, I cannot, I, I remember him going pretty deep in Libedets, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not confident in it. Anyway, uh, I also thought of Jonas Foretek, uh, just because he was, um, well, he improved his forehand a lot to, for it to be an actual weapon, whereas in the juniors, it used to be a liability for him, used to be the weak shot. Uh, and I thought that would get him somewhere and it did because in like the first five months of 2022, he was playing very well. Then he had an injury in Helbron, uh, playing against Andre Martin. Uh, that forehand became such a weapon that he like, I think he's struggling to construct points right now. Like he can't really find the balance between just going for it on every single occasion. So, uh, that also lost him a bit. And I think after that injury, he, he couldn't really return to, to his best for a while. Uh, and yeah, it ends up that he's like, you know, finishes the year outside the top 250 and, um, that 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 basically tells you that he hasn't made any progress, but on the court it didn't look like that. So yeah, I, uh, that that's also another one of my nominees. And the other one, I, I think it was still a good year for Arthur Fields, but again, I have to be a little disappointed with how he performed in many big moments, uh, many matches against the top guys. Especially there's one that's very fresh in my head always against Federico Coria in the summer. 
where he was like constantly, I think five one up in the second, lost in two tie breaks. Uh, and this pretty much happened a lot of times this year with Fields. Uh, I still think that soon we're going to get a challenger title from him. Uh, it, it should happen. It, I, I believe it's not a matter of if, but when. But I figured that maybe he would be going you know, at a, at a better pace that, than, than he's going right now. So, so that's my three guys. I wouldn't say either of them like flopped. I just don't think they developed as well as I uh, thought they would be because I, I, I don't think you can really say that either regressed. Uh, but yeah, they just didn't really go as much um, you know, towards the top as I thought they would be. Yeah, the other two so. I would add are Kasper Zouk, who you just feel like things oh, have kind oh. of steadied for. Like you're just like he's just hasn't made the push, and I, I expected it to happen this year. That makes it sound like you agree. Yeah, that's a very good shot. I just didn't think of him, and he actually like flopped, right? He, he yeah, actually went. Yeah, he, he's actually um, at a went worse down to play spot. ITF level, yeah. right, and had to work his way back up. Yeah, seventeen and one at the ATF yeah. level this year, but um, he so, it. So at, at, le- at least that, right? At, at, yeah. at, at least he's still better than these guys. That's that's good. But yeah, uh, from a guy who we thought was gonna make like a top one hundred push, maybe, yeah. uh, it, it feels very far right now. And you know, he can't even be certain that he's gonna make Australian Open qualifying. In fact, I think he's like, yeah, maybe gonna make it. But yeah, it's it's all gonna be down to luck. Yeah, the other one I would throw in is is Stefan Kozlov, who just with how well he ended last season, you just felt like this was the year for the top 100. Uh, And unfortunately, it didn't happen. And so those would be the two I have on my mind. But all right, with that said, we move on. The people aren't talking enough about award, Damien. I think it speaks for itself. Now, we used to do this award ironically, as in what are, you know, it used to be like people don't talk enough about Nadal's volleys, right? It's like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. I think we talk about them enough now. Like, we don't have to keep saying that. That was the original attention of the award. But at the challenger level, I'm actually curious. What aren't we talking about enough right now, Damien? Yeah, I will just say, though, that glancing through the ranking list, I I saw Kozlov and I was like, yeah, Alex is gonna mention him, right? But, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's a fair point. I mean, he 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 had a terrible season, other than like one event. Anyway, uh, people aren't talking enough about, and honestly, I think we can give uh, like almost any name here because people aren't talking enough about any challenger players. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, the answer is just the uh-huh. challenger tour. Yeah, that, that that's a very good answer. Actually, I think if we were to like make make a list of nominees, we should put it on there. Uh, you know, like it wouldn't it. win. No, it, wouldn't it, w- win no award, it, it probably would win. Yeah, that, that, that that's fair as well. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I, I yeah, depends how far you want to go with the joke, but yeah. It, it could win, of course. Uh, and yeah, players, uh, people definitely aren't talking enough about the Challenger Tour. We're trying to change that, of course. Uh, yeah, I have a few names. Honestly, I think they're very, like, the recency bias is pretty clear because sure. all of these guys have done great stuff in, in the last weeks of 2022. Uh, I think I will just speed run through it because it's, you know, four names and, you know, we can't really uh, sure. keep talking about these players for 10 minutes. Anyway, I've got Mattia Bellucci in there. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, to the general public, he's just completely unknown still. 
uh, what a lot of people considered him a clay quarter because that was what he was, you know, showing himself in in the summer on, in, in the challengers. Uh, but apparently at the beginning of the year, he was saying that he was only like learning clay this year. Uh, and yeah, then, then when he showed up on outdoor hardcourts and indoor hardcourts a bit as well, but uh, he, he considers outdoor hardcourts his best surface, it was it actually became clear. Uh, that you know he has a pretty aggressive game, but without having that much power and um, faster courts definitely help him to uh, stay on top of the point. Uh, the lefty serve turned out to be a, a big weapon as well in terms of the angles, maybe not so much the power and the, the variety the guy has and just so many potential game plans, so many potential tactics he can use. Probably one of the best, like I, I think he's um, lob uh, and drop shot and then uh, backhand lob down the line will be like you know um legendary for for challenger tour enjoyers for for all the 10 challenger tour enjoyers <laughs> uh and yeah i i i just think the to the general public he's still basically unknown and uh probably won't be uh at some point um i, I hope so i also have lucas klein in there i think he's gonna he's like totally ready for a top 100 push next year uh, it just should happen. Uh, I think until May, we counted that with Jakub recently, and I think until May, he only defends 22 points. Uh, so, you know, it's a clear top 100 opportunity. Uh, he only defends so little because he started his year at the end of March. He had a six-month uh, hiatus because of uh, a wrist injury. No, no, sorry, elbow, I think. Elbow injury and, yeah, came back stronger than ever, I think. Yeah, I think he's ready for a top 100 push. Of course, the weapons are there. He... It's never going to be a super consistent game, uh, but I think on his day, he can beat pretty much anyone. Uh, I've got Leandro Riedi here as well, but that's with a big asterisk of how much he can, uh, you know, how much he can translate his game of indoors. Like, I'm not sure because with that even more hyper aggressive style than Klein, it seems like he needs these sort of perfect conditions, uh, you know, nothing to really interfere with his hitting. Uh, also enjoys you know lower bounces, sleeker sleeker courts. So that's a big ask. That's like something that I need to wait and see. But if he is able to succeed on other courts, uh, then he's got so much potential still. Like it, it could be an actual conversation, like whether Riedi or Streaker has more potential if Riedi can uh, do it on other surfaces than indoors. Uh, which seemed wild maybe m a month ago. Like you wouldn't really put Riedi in the conversation, but uh, he's just done that. He's just put, in, put himself in there with the Helsinki Andrea double. And the last guy I have is Yusuke Watanuki, simply because of the fact that no one watches the Japanese challengers, at least in Europe, because, you know, the time zones uh, can kill you. Um, even I, I mean, I, I usually watch like three or four matches from, from these events because, well, um, I also have to like live a normal life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I always watch the finals and, you know, some, some most exciting matches throughout the week. If, if the time zones are actually, you know, if the, if the time is, uh, sweets me somehow. Uh, but yeah, I think just because of that, a lot of people didn't notice the back to back titles he did in Kobe and, um, Yokaichi, I think. And uh, yeah, for that reason, I, I, I believe that no one is really talking about him, but the guy actually has a lot of uh, like ball striking talent, also a hyper aggressive game, which I guess with Klein and Yeti really tells you what sort of players I like to enjoy. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I like to watch, I, I wanted to say. 
uh and and yeah i uh, i know that you know there, there with him there's the asterisk of the fact that he did it in japan and of course the fields weren't as great but i really want to see if he can if he's able to to translate that to any other courts in europe for example i think he made a semi-final in 40 this year so you know, there, there is some uh evidence there is some proof that he can and uh yeah and uh he is now in the top 150 or something like that also like pretty much in just two weeks he, he made so much ground so uh i believe that uh especially you know maybe australian open qualifying may maybe he could be dangerous maybe he can get the wild card I, I have no clue if there's like uh any you know what the criteria are for choosing the the asian wild card right now so so these are the guys but yeah as we as as we said you can talk all about anyone here basically <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of good nominees, and you mentioned the players you like to watch. That gets us to our next category. Best players to watch. Who are your favorite challenger players to watch on court compete this season? Yeah, this is uber subjective. Uh, yeah, of course. I'm this actually is fun. very excited to to hear who you have on your list. Um, I have three guys. Uh, Zhijian Zhang, I, I mentioned earlier that I, that I have him in one category. Um, before this year, honestly, I hated watching him. I didn't understand his game like at all. And especially watching him live in, uh, first in Braunschweig, then Kozerki this year. Uh, I just realized how beautiful, like, you know, his hitting is, how, um, well developed he is technically. Like you can just instantly see that there was so much work put into, uh, making this guy to be a tennis player. And on the stream, I never really got that. And yeah, especially with the way he was, uh, you know, more and more confident, um, it, it got it got super fun watching him. And uh, I I, even, I was even laughing about it with a friend of mine this year, because um, yeah, if if you asked me about Jin Zhang at the beginning of the year, I would probably be like, um, you know, to just tell you something that he has pretty solid ground strokes and like like that's that's it. And then uh, in the middle of a very in-depth uh, Zhang's game conversation with a friend, I was like, wow, we really like became Zhang experts in two months. <laughs> but that was, you know, in the summer, I was pretty much watching like most of his matches because, well, he was doing so well and it, it was it was ultra enjoyable. And yeah, as I said, I also got to see him in, uh, in two events that he made. I think, yeah, he made the finals in both of them. So, you know, a lot of time on court. Uh, the other guy I have is Mark andrea Wessler. Uh, sure. Yeah, super fun of, with the with the all court tactics. Um, maybe now he he will play more on the ATP tour, and you know, actually we can see that he's doing well there, uh, which uh, which maybe isn't as unexpected with uh, with a game style like that. That you know, it's harder to break through, but when you actually get there, you're always going to be dangerous on your day. Uh, and the last guy. Uh, Ricardo Bonadio, just because of the one-hander. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I'm a total sucker for that one-hander. He made a second challenger final this year, lost to Shevchenko. The previous one, he lost to Carlos Alcaraz. And I still hope that he has that challenger title left in him. And he actually had a, his best year, uh, the, the best year of his career. Uh, which came, you know, at a pretty unexpected moment as well, because he's 29. He is still in Maya in the quarterfinals, but he's playing Nuno Borges in uh, tomorrow. So uh, that's quite a big ask. But if he can do that, maybe Maya is going to be the, you know, the, the, the event that he's going to uh, find success in. Uh, he's carry high got to 174 this year. I think before that it used to be like 240. So also a great year for him. And, and yeah, there's been a lot of chances to to watch Bonadio this year. And I, I always love that one hander no i yes that i mean great inclusion i mean these are all guys 
joys to watch for different reasons for me. And, you know, again, we'll get to some of these guys in the heat at the moment that you mentioned. Hoosler probably could have been most improved, but then he wins his big title at the yeah. ATP level. So it's just like, does that count for this? I don't know. Ebing Wu has to be at the top of my list because there was a moment watching him where it's like, are you the best player in the world? Like, I'm not <laughs> sure if you're not right now. And so he was high on my list. Dom Stricker is always high on my list with just how big he plays and just how easy tennis seems to be for him. It's always a joy for me to watch. And then Alex Kovacevic. I mean, I'm biased because I know him a little bit as well, but boy, is his game pretty. Like, it just is. And when he turns into a forehand, point is over. He's either won it or, you know, he's going to hit the error. But I really enjoy just how technically perfect his game is. So those would be my nominees. The last one... And I got into it. You know, we've talked about it, alluded to it throughout the course of this show. He had a moment. Who had a moment throughout the course of this 2022 Challenger season? I'm just going to offer you names. Let's rapid fire through yes or no. And then you tell mm-hmm. me if you have any, if I'm missing any people. Jack Draper. I think obvious. Yes. Obvious. Yes. I mean, he had a year, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, he had a moment. I mean, it, when it yeah. comes to the Challenger Tour, yeah, he had a moment. When it's, it comes to, like, you know, as a whole, he had a, he had year. a year. Yeah, yeah, Shelton, again, year. Wu, certainly a moment. Um, did Luca Nardi have a moment? Um, <laughs> I mean, not really, I think. I At the beginning, of course, there was that in great indoor season, but then he uh, had you know good a good campaign around Garros Qualies and then that title uh, in Spain. Uh, Mallorca, Mallorca, I think. Uh, so, so I think you know he had he's done enough in like different parts of the year for it not to really classify. Mm-hmm. Gabe Diallo. Um, you know he had a moment, but then again, like Sheldon, he started playing uh, the Challenger Tour pretty late in the year. Yeah, so sure. in a way, whenever he was playing, he was doing well. I, I don't know, maybe. Fair. Chris Eubanks, end of the year. That's a moment. He is now very well positioned. You mentioned someone else earlier, but Eubanks has like four wins to defend till April. So it's like he is a, a top one hundred. Uh, a top one hundred push is very much in the cards. Four wins, but I think one of them is Australian Open second round, right? So th- there's some points dropping here. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I wanted to include Eubanks in some category. Uh, I guess I included him in the rivalries. Uh, but yeah, we, we've never, like, he's never been closer to a top 100 player for sure. He's never been more complete. Uh, so yeah, um, did he have a moment? Okay, yeah, he had a moment at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah I agree. All right, who else is on your list? Uh, I got Yellow Cells. Okay. Uh, which, um, well, I, this could be a most improved, honestly, but I think he just didn't do that well for the most part. Like he, he didn't do that well for the whole year. Uh, but I do have yellow cells in here because, well, at the in September he just sort of randomly made a final in Tuln, lost to Kovalik, uh, and then it turned out that it actually lasted. Um, then he won a 25k and went to the semis in Braga where he was super tired, but then won Mullerone Captive, which I think was the peak of LSLs that we saw sure. this year. Uh, a true like top 100 level game there for sure. I have no clue if, the, if this is going to last. And I think in, it, in, in fact, it's already like sort of hasn't. I know he made a, a semi after that uh, in uh, Helsinki. 
was it Helsinki? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it was Helsinki. But uh, after that, you know, his um, maybe if his results didn't even drop that much, you know, a quarterfinal, quarterfinal, uh, semi, first round, second round. So, you know, still pretty good. Uh, but that moment has definitely ended. And that's why, you know, he, I think he's perfect for it. He had a moment. Uh, I have no clue if this will remain, but, you know, he, he was just completely out of the blue. He had a month where he was a top 100 guy, 100%. Uh, which uh, which to me makes him the perfect nominee here. Um, I love honestly, it. I yeah, that was in the the third. I think yeah, the third in the last category where I had just one thing, and that was him. But uh, another guy I can I can uh, think of right now, also Dutch. Uh, the pronunciation is uh, always killing us. Uh, he has Brower or whatever. Sure, it's, sure, yeah. Uh, I think there was like a, especially with that Houston quarterfinal, which wasn't on the Challenger Tour, but then also on the grass. I think he had like, you know, two or three months where he was excellent. And I mean, excellent enough that he also, like Cells, debuted in the top 150, which, uh, you know, last year, if, mm-hmm. if someone told that, uh, if someone told you that Brower was going to get this far, you would probably laugh in his face. Um, but yeah, the, there was like three, the, the, the three months in there between April, J- June, maybe, uh, that was a super strong patch of play. And also it's kind of funny to think about how it started, right? With that Houston quarterfinal where in the qualies, he, like the umpire has already announced the score, uh, you know, game set match DS. And then it turns out that the ball was out or something like that. And yeah, he saves like a billion match points, gets to the quarters and rides that wave, uh, which is which is pretty wild. I'm pretty sure there must be someone else who who had a pretty decent moment, but not much more than that. Um, not sure if I can come up with it. No, I like it. Present, I think but... I think we have our list. I think there it is. Those are your 2022 ATP Challenger Awards. I mean, are we missing anything, Damien? I think we hit everything. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of them we sort of gave, you know, a few names, but uh, yeah, I mean, well, player of the year, though, most improved newcomer, of course, those yeah. are always the juicy ones. And so, exactly. you know, that's one. I feel like we did a pretty good job of recapping the 2022 challenger season. So before we end the show, any final thoughts, any other things you got to get off your chest? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we pretty, did a pretty good job, too. Uh, I didn't <laughs> expect anything else from us. <laughs> yeah, good. I like um, to hear it. <laughs> no, it, it, it was definitely fun, as, as I expected, as I knew it would be. And um, yeah, did this... Um, I, I wish this existed. Like, I wish yeah. there was some some way for the players to, um, for the challenger players to like ac- acknowledge their existence on the circuit and not just treat it as, as you know as a gateway. Of course, some will tr- treat it as a gateway because, well, of course, uh, stepping you stone. Want to make the big may. money, of course. Yeah, that that that's normal. And if you have the talent, like I don't know, Jack Draper, of course, you're not going to stay on the Challenger Tour. But the reality is that more players feature on the Challenger Tour than on the ATP Tour every year. Uh, there's a lot of Challenger players who have never, you know, made a main tour debut, who will never play a Grand Slam main draw. And uh, yeah, I, I think these guys should also get like a chance to win awards. Uh, of course, there's a They're, lot of people who would disagree, right? Because, well, you know, no, because those people amateurs are, and yeah, because you know, they're foolish. No, but you uh, yeah. brought it up. It's like Holger Runa 
won a challenger this year. Musetti won a challenger this year. Draper six won players, a I think, yeah. won uh, an ATP uh, title and a challenger title this year, which is crazy. Uh, so uh, that that's more than more than last year. I think last year it was four. Yeah, it speaks to again the depth, the talent that you see just across the board in professional tennis right now. With that said, speaking of talent, it's December. Are we getting the under-21 list again from you, Damien? Can we expect that coming up in the next few days? Can I already book your spot back on this show to talk about it? No, uh, that was a one-time <laughs> thing. Uh, okay. But I, I did come up with another idea, and I, I think I will do it for like an off-season thread because I thought that was pretty nice. Like It kept me uh, doing something on Twitter in December, which, you know, the grow, uh, wanting to wanting to uh, you know grow the brand sort of yeah, sure uh, you know it's it's pretty important yeah it's 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 uh, you know most of December I wouldn't tweet otherwise so uh, that's uh, that's probably quite important I do have another idea and um, I guess I can say it here. no no I mean, no 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 spoilers if you want to no? keep it to yourself uh, you tell no, me I mean, if you want to share it let us know no I I, I can share it like uh, I I came up with it like yesterday but <laughs> I, I knew I wanted to do something. And uh, I think it's going to fit like just right with the dates uh, because the season ends on the 4th of December. Uh, and yeah, and and I would start it on the 5th of December and it would last like 26 days, I think, or 25. I can't remember the exact number because this year, uh, 25 or 26 players, I can't remember right now because the list I had, I think, didn't include Mahaj, uh, broke the top 100. So I'm basically going to do a thread of, you know, trying to predict guys who could break the top 100 next year, starting That's from these where I feel I, you know, very confident. And if memory serves me correct, you wrote an article for us not that long ago about who are the next Aslan uh, Karatsev. Yeah, that was that like, guy. you know, age, so age restricted, yeah, right? Yeah, in that spirit, it's just like, here are the guys who have not made a top 100 debut who are on the precipice of doing so. I'm writing that down, yeah. Damien. We will be doing that top podcast here in November. Yeah, sure. Or December, Absolutely. excuse me. Uh, December, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I will start it uh, at the Fred, I think, on the on the 5th of December. I'm not sure when the season like starts. I haven't checked that, but I think it would be like almost exactly right, you know, to get me going through uh, okay. through the whole of December. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe at the end of the list, I will have to come up with, uh, you know, some guys that maybe in, even in my mind don't really have a chance, but I will state it, you know, that, you know, the number is, is fixed and that, that I will start <laughs> with the guys who I think will certainly do it and then go to, you know, long shots. I like it. No, <laughs> Again, if you, you know if you need anything, I'm here to help consult. That's my sort of list, so I'd love to hear that. And I mean, we're going to talk about these, exactly. uh, these guys, and, right? And we've loved having you every Monday on the Great Shot Podcast, you, Jakob, breaking down all of the Challenger action every week, so very much appreciated. And, yeah, again, it's off-season mode. That means we're going to be chatting more. So appreciate you coming on the show today, and uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. Hope all of you enjoyed our 2022 ATP Challenger Award show with Damien Koost. A massive thank you to Damien, as always, for taking the time to chat with us. Remember, you can hear more from him by tuning in every Monday to our Great Shot podcast feed, where he and Jakob Bobro break down all of the latest ATP Challenger action. Of course, a shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the 
of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our Crack Rackets content possible. We're rocking and rolling on just about every one of our podcast feeds. GSP about to really get going with our top 10 college tennis preview about to start, of course, over on the Cracked Interviews podcast. We've had Todd Whittem, Nick Monroe, Kareem Aloth, and so many more folks. It may be off-season. Things may have slowed down off on the court, excuse me, but we're going to keep you busy off of it with a wave of off-season content. That said, for the fantastic Crack Rackets contributor Damian Kust, our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we hope you all enjoy your weekend. Thanks, everyone.